Welcome, everybody, to the Too High Podcast. I am Seth Kalina, alongside Mr. Deontay Lee. Deontay, what's going on? Not a whole lot, man. Not a whole oh, not a whole lot. lot. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem right, considering uh, this yeah. is the final episode of the Too High Podcast. As, as, as currently constituted, this will be the last of the Too High Podcast with, with me. With me. That this... This entity obviously does not belong solely to me, so you know it will be something else. But yeah, outside of that, man, not a whole lot. Not a whole <laughs> Jesus lot. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is it's the end of the podcast. With uh, where where the podcast heads to next, we're still working on that. Mm-hmm. But um, and and it'll be good. Yes. But it will never be the two high podcasts that I think we envisioned. Um, last August, and honestly, I don't think we envisioned what it became in the very short say. period um, yeah. that we were doing this. It's funny. It's funny. Like we, it feels like we were doing this for a long time, but we're really just doing this for a year, basically. If that really, I mean, even counting the college football podcast days, yeah, you're probably at like right around the calendar year of podcasting. Yeah, and obviously, like we're not going to turn this whole podcast into a big Grammy speech about all the people that we have to thank for it, but like just reflecting on. A, the conversations on rebranding the thing so we can make it something that was a little bit more true to the two of us. And then seeing that through in terms of the branding sticking and people listening and obviously this ridiculous kind of like month over month growth that we had in terms of uh, listenership. Like that was maybe that I will probably look at that as the most gratifying piece of the time that I've had at Too High. It's like we really created something and the shit worked, you know. I, I'm I'm just happy that people want to listen to us talk about football in the way that we want to talk about football. Like we're mm-hmm. not trying to make it anything that we don't want to talk about, right? right? And in the way that we don't want to that we want to talk about it. And right. for you, for all you people listening right now to like want to listen to that uh, has been has been awesome. Honestly, yeah. It's been I mean, awesome. really, honestly, there's really no other way to put it. it it's been great. It's been amazing. Like I, I have, I owe a lot of all, every listener a debt of gratitude for for kind of sticking this out with us as we kind of figured out our footing here and obviously spreading this out. You know, helping us kind of spread the word on this thing. It's been it's been a really good time. Are you? Uh, can you announce what's going on not with you yet. or not yet? Unfortunately, okay. not yet. I will say. I mean, I've I've fielded a lot of questions for it. Obviously, because I spent some time in coaching, I think that there's kind of like, I get a lot of questions about which what's going on. The only thing I can say at this moment is that I'm not done writing. I'm not done writing. Um, when it's time to announce, we'll announce. Um, but some pretty cool things on the horizon in terms of content, you know, coming up in the future for me. So. Yeah, uh, and obviously, um, I'm I'm super excited for you. Um, Obviously, losing you as a podcast partner sucks, but I know. Thank you, man. Obviously, I know what's going on with you um, in a lot of different ways. And like, I'm right. super excited for you and, and your future. Um, unfortunately, you know, PFF will never have a podcast with two POCs on it. So that's really. That's, <laughs> that's really that's really sad going forward. I think that's really where I'm, I'm the most uh, sad about man. this whole situation. Um, uh. That was great. So yeah, so you yeah you will be writing, but I wanted to let's start because um, you know we're gonna get to some we have some questions from the mailbag from uh, that we didn't get to over the past few weeks and mm-hmm. and we want to talk about free agency stuff. 
But let's just talk about football for a bit here because that's yes. what we that's what we both do. You are still going to be coaching um, Mount, Car- Mount, Mount Carmel. Uh, you're yes. still going to be a defensive coordinator there. Correct. Um, you guys are in seven seven on seven mode right now. Yes, we are. Yep. It's my least favorite time of year. <laughs> By far, my least favorite time of year. I, you know, it's it's like I'm such a loser because like I love Paschal. I love seven. I'm seven. sure. I love Paschal. Yeah. You're because it's like you get to, you this is this is where i get now i've never been in a, in a situation where we're, we're like have like traveling teams and like there's mm-hmm. really competition i'm just saying for me when i think about pasho um in practice and stuff like that because this is where you this is where you get the quarterback to see what the fuck is going on right because you you have to once you put offensive linemen and defensive linemen in front of them then you then then the quarterback has to make so many assumptions about what's going on in front of him because the vision is lost yes. you know especially you know yeah if you're Paxton Lynch and, and you're, you're six foot seven like okay whatever you can see everything but for the most part most quarterbacks cannot see over the, the towering people in front of them so like you have to you have to train them so much in these seven on seven so that they are they can see through quote unquote um, mm-hmm. the O line and D line. So for me, that's such an important facet um, of of development for quarterbacks. Um, and I, I understand the issues. I mean, maybe you can talk about them. The issues that have come up from saying, okay, we're going to create a sport out of this. Right. We're going to create tournaments out of seven on seven, out of Paschal, uh, Pascali, whatever you want to call it. Um, that I haven't had to deal with yet because it's just not something that has it's it's getting there because there's there's so many indoor facilities here in the winter now but like mm-hmm. we're just not we're not there not yet. there yeah I mean and it's it's interesting to hear this from a quarterback's perspective because all the reasons why you like it is obviously all the reasons why a defensive coach would not right because of you know the effect of hey I I can't you're telling me I can't affect the pocket at all. It's literally yeah. impossible for me to affect the pocket, which is just not a piece of playing real defensive football. Um, you get four seconds to work through your progression. There's no, there's absolutely nothing to obstruct anybody's vision. Um, you know, like the contact and all of that stuff, it, it's all different. So it has its use. It obviously has its use. Like usually what we tell the guys is like, A, you have to define success defensively. So we always just say, hey, like a check down is a win. Like, I don't mm-hmm. care what happens. If you force the ball to be checked down, then we did our job in coverage. Uh, well, and then, because and that's then, not a yeah. thing that happens in a real NFL uh, – sorry, in a real high school football game. Right. Like There's, there's no check downs in a high school football not, game. Yeah, high school quarterbacks are not really working from one to two to three yeah. and then throwing the over-the-ball route. You know, like that's a that's a relatively rare skill out of quarterbacks. You know, don't let Dub Maddox and, and those guys fool you, man. Like <laughs> not every quarterback on earth is born with the ability to work through a progression and get to the check down every time, on time especially. So, like, you have to kind of redefine success in a way that you wouldn't in more typical um, football circumstances. And then, like, from there, it's just like – and this kind of gets to what we were talking about in terms of the problems. Like, because I am not the guy who wants to play with seven DBs on the field and just go bump and run two man every snap or bump and, one, bump and run one robber every snap. Like, we are going to have competitions where we lose – you know, because teams will get in the quads and make these diamond bunches and run all these ridiculous motions and guys running drag routes a half yard over the line of scrimmage and shit. Like you have to kind of deal with that. So it's just like you have to create these different contexts where people really understand the way that this shit works. Otherwise, you'll you'll drive yourself crazy. 
Yeah, like I, I again, like w- once it became a, a sport, a different sport than than just like, hey, we're we're practicing our passing game. Mm-hmm. Then everything change. Everything is thrown out the window. You're right. not getting the right the right type of reps, right? Um, that are going to help you succeed in in eleven on eleven football. It's right. different. It's just different. It's just right? different. And yeah. that's it's a different sport. Honestly, the way that it's gone now, it is a different sport when you take it out of like the practice element, like the game planning element. It's just, it's an entirely different sport. Yeah, and again, like I said, I haven't had to deal with that yet. I just like Pashal because it's because and also like I play flag, so like that's Pashal all day. Basically, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. Um, I um, been watching some quarterback stuff recently. Like I obviously follow a bunch of quarterback coaches on Twitter, mm-hmm. and like something that's popped into my head is like I'm watching these kids, like 16 year old kids, throw footballs now. Mm-hmm. Like 16 year old kids are throwing footballs better, more technically sound than like half the starting quarterbacks in the league in in the NFL's history before 1999. Yes. Yes, it is absolutely insane how good, how how quick these releases, how they're, you know, the, the whole body mechanics from ground up is is these kids are getting co- coached at such a young age. Um, uh, by good, you know, coaching is better just in general, and they're just getting mm-hmm. so much more reps. And like, I can't. It is absolutely. It's fun to watch these these kids like throw like going on the run and throwing these balls. Like, yes, I uh, think. Um... I made the joke with you, I think, with like you, Justice, and a few of our other pals. Like when we were watching a national championship game, I was just looking at like Bryce's deme- Bryce Young's demeanor in the pocket. I was like, "This is a quarterback that you can tell has ten thousand hours worth of seven yeah. on seven in him. You can just see in the way that he, the way that he kind of drops back, how he delivers a football. Like you can one hundred percent see that stuff starting to show up in a lot of these players, wide receivers too, which is why I like these skill levels." Um, for these guys that play these offensive skill positions, just continues to just climb and climb and it's climb. Insane. Like, ridiculous. And, and I think, you know, so I was coaching last night and coaching quarterbacks, coaching a quarterback last night. Mm-hmm. And just like one of the things that's changed, and it's not there yet, but like if you talk, if you, if you listen to or talk to any of the top quarterback people, mm-hmm. um, the difference between what we used to teach and I used to teach is like this like linear throwing motion like we're going forward we're starting back here and then we're going right. to finish forward um rather than like a rotation base like we are going to keep the spine at the same you know column and then we're going to rotate around the spine and honestly like i i was working with this with with my friend and she's a great quarterback but her mechanics are mechanics are washed and uh it's bad like it's really bad she knows it's bad too um, she doesn't listen to the podcast. It's okay, but just, just, just being like, okay, we're gonna. I don't want you to like move forward. Like I want you to keep everything here in this one place instead of moving forward. And you know, one of and, and one of the examples of this is always like follow through. You gotta yes. follow through, and that back leg has to come forward, and your and your your throwing arm has to come all the way across your body, and all that stuff. And it's like well, we don't need to do that anymore because we're we're creating all the torque we need from from again from from being a rotational thrower and some other terms mm-hmm. that I don't have to get into, but like, right. um, just telling her like, Hey, gonna, so we're going to slow down. You're going to stand here. You're going to try and like, try and fly your hips first and keep your, sh- keep your chest back. And then like, let her rip like that. And like the mm-hmm. different difference is incredible. Difference is yes. absolutely incredible. Just in one, one session 
um, just like changing her from a linear thrower, she was almost like walking forward as she threw the football and she'd lost all her power. And she's a, she, she can, she, I call her the Cam Newton of women's football, but like, so she got power. <laughs> right. But like she would, like the power was drained from her by her technique and like just, just getting her to, to, to become a rotational thrower, which is tough. Like, yeah, we can do it in practice. It's like, we're going to, it's going to take a lot of practice to get her to change it when she's under pressure um, in a stressful environment, like an actual um, game, quote unquote, game situation. Scenario, but like, right. man, just changing that has been is crazy when I think about um, all quarterbacks and her specifically. But just like, uh, fuck, like the I I, I I hate myself for like teaching it the, the other way. But we all did it. Like, we all did it like that, and it is what it is. But like, it is what it is. Doing it this way, the the amount of power you can create from without like moving forward without like like forcing power mm-hmm. is is incredible and again just tying it back like now you're you're seeing all these kids um get all this training get these 10,000 hours and then get into the NFL in the NFL and it's like you have backup quarterbacks in the NFL who are better than than starting quarterbacks in From, 2006 right. or whatever you know what exactly. i mean like it's crazy how good quarterback and we and we shit on like you know you know obviously all the stuff's going down with baker mayfield and stuff and he, he has some technical problems his feet kind of suck these days but like he's a fucking good quarterback yeah he sucks relative yeah. to what he's supposed yes. to be <laughs> right but he is so good compared to every quarterback that's gone before him right and like uh and that's what that's what I see when I think about quarterbacks these days. Um, and I'm happy fact. to be coaching again, so that's nice. It's a fact. Um, I, I want to get out a soapbox here for a second. I know it's your day, but go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> uh, so, coach women's football, as I just alluded to right there. Um, just want to because it's it's I don't know if this is gonna be our last podcast on the too high like this talking coaching and stuff like that, but. I started coaching women's football, I think, in 2016, and it took a long time for a guy who I was coaching with on the men's side to convince me to come out to practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fun. Like, come on. We're going to have a good time. It's just me and you. Like, he was coaching receivers at the team we were at. I was coaching quarterbacks, and, like, it took me, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm, I don't want to. I'm like, come on, women's football. Like, whatever. I'm not coming out to that. And then he eventually, he eventually, I was, I got laid off of my job. This is mm-hmm. years ago. And I was like, all right, well, I, I got time now, so I'm gonna come out to practice, and and it it was great. I mean, like it was really great, and and I've been doing it ever since. And you know, I just say like, go out. Like, if you're listening to this, you're a coach, or, or you're, you're someone who likes the podcast because you like the type of stuff we're talking about. Like, hey, there might be a team in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the league. There's few leagues in the states. WFA, IWFL. I think there's a new one. Whatever. Uh, go out and, and, and try and help out because obviously the main thing is like the coaching isn't isn't what it could be. It's still right. a, a young sport per se. Um, the coaching is not what it should be, um, what it could be. So go out if you're into this type of stuff, go out and do it. And then the next thing I want to talk about is our team, mm-hmm. the Montreal Blitz. Um, so we played in the, in the IWFL and the WFA, which is the American League for 15 years, something like that. No problems. Um, we weren't very good for a long time. And, you know, this is kind of before I got there. Not great. But we would go over and obviously part of being the only Canadian team was like everyone had to have their passports and everyone, you know, got to go do that shit and, and take care of it so we can cross the border on the buses and whatever. And 
teams would come to us. We had a big rivalry with the New York Sharks. So I think they've changed their name since then, but like big rivalry and doing all that stuff. And then at some point in 2017, we were having a good season. We we're like one of the top teams in the whole league. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we became a really good team. And then teams have said, we don't want to come to Canada anymore. And that fucking sucks. And we don't have a league anymore. Like we're trying to create yeah. our own league here in 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 the surrounding areas with like Ottawa and like Toronto. I don't want to talk about Toronto, but like so like, I just want to get them with soapbox and be like, "Fuck you guys, <laughs> fuck you New York, right? Fuck you Tampa Bay for Scared not wanting to, to come over. Scared, Scared to, compete. to compete. So like we so New York would beat the shit out of us for a lot of years, and then we started getting closer and closer and closer, but we still couldn't beat them. They changed coaching staffs. Uh, we went down there to start 2017 season, beat the shit out mm-hmm. of them, like 45 nothing, 45-7, some shit like that. They came here. Uh, we beat them. We, we, we ended up seeing them in the playoffs. We beat them. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, we don't want to come to Canada anymore. We don't come to Montreal anymore. And it's, the funny thing, it's not a, it's like five, we're like five hours from New York, but obviously you have to cross a border. And like, right. you know, I understand that Americans, like in Canada, you get, you get your passport. Like it's just a right. thing you do, and I understand in, in America it's not necessary thing for everyone to go and get a passport because um, you're maybe not thinking that you're ever going to travel or whatever. I get that, but at the same time, if you want to play football, you want to play against a good team or a fucking good team, fucking get your passport, get shit, yeah. get shit together. So, anyways, I'm still mad about this. It was like four years ago. We've been trying <laughs> to do a league. We're still mad about this. Um, we're obviously willing to play anyone who wants to wants to we'll go down there we'll figure it out or, or we'll come in an exhibition game or something like that but honestly they voted like the league voted and they said we don't we're not coming to canada the league voted and they said we're not coming to canada anymore i just it's something been been on, been on my mind since we started the podcast and i need to get that off my chest because it yeah. fucking bothers me because it's stunting the growth of the, the sport here um because we can't get good games like we're, we're like there's how many fucking te- teams do you think you can create and women's football team in in northeast canada like it's not fucking possible um so playing against you know we went to new in 2017 we went to new york beat the shit out of them we went to fucking cleveland beat the shit out we've been to baltimore beat the shit out of them you know scared to compete anyways you what do you want to talk about <laughs> and you tell me man you tell me i mean uh, i know we want to get to some of the q a definitely going to kind of yeah. you know tie the bow on that um but beforehand, you know, obviously I want to hit, you know, because I don't know what my future is going to be in podcasting at this point in time. Kind of wanted to hit on, you know, some of the, the top narrative stuff, I guess, um, in the NFL. Um, and I know that at first we were kind of talking about just kind of revolving this first piece of the conversation around the Chargers. But, you know, as this as the free agency period continues to evolve, I think now we've kind of got to expand it to just talk about the entirety of the AFC West. Um so the first thing I really wanted to ask you about is kind of what preceded all of this, which was the trade for Russell Wilson by the Denver Broncos. Um, obviously, now you were kind of talking about him in terms of his pairing with Nathaniel Hackett. So I just kind of wanted to get your feel for what Russ looks like in that offense, how you feel about it in general, and if you can project out what it might look like um, in year one for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so torn about, like, what is Russell Wilson? Who is Russell Wilson? Is Russell Wilson good? Like, he's obviously good. I think he was, like, the highest graded. He was, like, over the two seasons, like, 2020, 2021, definitely in the top 10 in PFF grade, even with the down, um, the end of last season as he came back from the yeah. injury. I want to say um, he was, like, so, top three if, or, like, yeah. number two last year in spite of not having 
the best Russell Wilson year. Yes. So it's like, okay, well, clearly he's good, but I know we've, we talk about this. Um, we talk about this all the time, where it's like, the second you switch from the broadcast film to the All-22 film with Russell, <laughs> you're like, what the, what is this man doing? Like, I don't right. understand where his eyes are, what he's doing, why he's not throwing this, why he's not doing that. So I always have this weird thing, and I have to, like, take a step back and realize that that he is still an elite quarterback. He was an elite quarterback before the injury last year. My thing with Russell is always going to be the same. Like, the issue with Russell is he's made a living off unsustainable plays, which is, like, deep balls in terms of yep. – and, and specifically, like, nine balls. Yes. Um Explosive plays, Explosive plays outside of the pocket. Extending outside the pocket. And it's like, okay, he has clearly shown that he is just a beyond that level yeah. of analysis in terms – he's the outlier. Like, and I, yeah. that's fine, right? Like he clearly is an outlier or else he wouldn't be in the league this long right. um, playing, right. this, playing the way he did. Like it just wouldn't happen. Right. So great quarterback. But the question is always the same. Is like when is it going to fall off because – the age will will just catch up to him, catch up to his legs. Like, he just won't be able to move around. Like, I don't know when it's going to happen. I do think it's going to happen at some point. Um, like, where he's just going to start a season and it's not going to be there anymore. And it's going to look like, kind of look like Breeze 2020 and maybe even worse because he can't access the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when that's going to happen. I, don't, I hope it doesn't happen um, anytime soon for Denver. In terms of the offense, well, guess what? It's gonna it it's well, gonna the day look is like, coming. Yeah, the day is coming, it is. and it's probably sooner than later. Like that does not mean twenty twenty two soon, but yeah, it, the the day is certainly closer to to being upon us than I think I'm sure than Russell Wilson would like to believe. And so, right. and I think maybe even earlier than what Denver might think that day will be. You know, um, and I, you know to kind of move move forward to kind of talking about him and Hackett, like. When I think about those two and their pairing, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this at different points. I know I had like a ask me anything where somebody kind of threw that question at me. And I think my answer was just like 2019, 2020 Matt LaFleur offense is probably the best way to make him fit within, you know, that kind of extended Shanahan universe at this point in terms of a lot of stuff happening outside the numbers, bubble screens, smoke yeah. screens. Hitches, speed outs, fades, like a lot of like deep play action. Some of the deep play action stuff that they got to the past year, like especially when they started, you know, kind of using Devontae Adams as more like a true X type of receiver and building the rest of the receiver room out, you know, with that in mind or utilizing those guys with that in mind. I do think that you can get to a bit of that because of what Denver has in terms of their wide receiver room. Like obviously, you know, it's one of the more talented um, offensive skill position groups that we have in the NFL. So I do think that there's some potential for them to be as explosive on a regular basis as Rodgers was with LaFleur in 2021. But to your point, not being able, maybe not being able to extend plays to the same degree as he did, you know, four or five years ago and still having those struggles with working in the middle of the field, it just starts to shrink some of the margin for error. So I, I would say I would expect it to be a lot of reliance on Williams and Gordon in the backfield, a lot of play action when you do want to take your shots, and everything outside of that is probably going to be like heavy RPO game instead of quick game where you're going to have to fit the ball into tight windows over the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, there's no dagger. Dagger's done. Forget yeah. it. 
It's gonna be really, yeah. It'll be really, really hard to run yeah. dagger with. I, I think you can still create, and I, and I'm like again, if if it falls off completely, then then they're fucked. But like, I still think you can create an offense that really works um, this season. Yeah, there's, there's a really a lot of good pieces there. It's 100%. just like, is it gonna look different than like I? I it, it is are the results gonna be that different than than Seattle like at their best? Like probably not. Like, right. I don't know if you can get, which are really good, but I don't know if you can get, like, better than that. Um, that's just who he is, right? But I do think there's, like, players like, um, you know, the two big body receivers they have and, like, Tim Patrick and and Cortland Sutton. Obviously, yep. you, tra- you trade Noah Fant, Noah Fant, so he's not there anymore. Right. That can make plays on the outside for him. Right. How they that's use right. Judy is – Well, that's how what they I'm use him is, is, is really interesting. I don't know yet. Because they, they like to put guys like, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the inside because he's a humongous body who's willing to block. You know, yes. a big body dude who can add to the run game when they run a run duo and all that stuff. Um, so that way a guy like Devontae Adams could be used like a true X when they needed him to be the mismatch guy. So I am really interested, like, do they see that in Tim Patrick? Do you see that in Cortland Sutton? Are you able to get some version of that out of those guys? Because if the answer is no, well, then I kind of do set off a couple of alarm bells. And again, it doesn't mean it's going to be a pure failure. It's just that the context in which we've seen the best version of the spread Shanahan offense probably isn't available to you if your wide receivers can't do that. And your quarterback is going to have a difficult time working the middle of the field. Like it, it, It just changes the context of everything within that offense. I wonder how much you're gonna get of like Judy playing the his doing his impersonation of like Tyler Lockett in terms of mm. being able to run these like vertical routes from the slot off play mm-hmm. action and then like you know whether it's running a corner or running a post or running, running a an post. over or something like that. Yep. Um, that that to me would be because I just don't know like you're not like what what is how how else do you fit him with Russell? Right. Right. And like, I don't know if that's Tim Patrick or Cotton Sun's game. I don't know if that's Albert O's game. Like right. that's, that, that's the guy right there. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know, they had those like KJ Hamler, Deshaun Hamilton guys. Like I like, but like those are backups right now. I don't know if they're, they're, they're going to ever going to be useful players. So like it's Jerry Judy to be like, Hey, like, and I don't even know if that's his game. I right. see him as a, I see him as an intermediate, like, st- yes. you know, he can snap off routes here, you yep. know, at, at twelve yards, something like that. So I don't know if that's his game either. Um, so that's going to be very interesting because, like, you know, Tyler Lockett. Obviously, we were talking about DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf uh, doing all that stuff he does on the outside. But like, you know, the the key is having both those guys, mm-hmm. DK and Tyler Lockett, um, for Russ to throw those moon balls to. And I think they'll try to make Judy that type of player. I just don't know if he is. And, he's a, and if he's a, if he's just a good receiver, he'll do it. But I mean, we just don't I know ask, yet. I'll, yeah. Can we ask like a really straightforward question? I feel like I know what your answer is. Like, is it time for everybody to just admit the fact that the best version of a Russell Wilson offense, especially present day, is to be more reliant on the run game? Like, yeah. I I just feel like you know for all the conversations that we've had, you know, off air with people who exist within Seahawks Twitter and people who cover the NFL who are, you know, kind of finally in line with what goes on in Seattle and how they kind of felt about the offense. Like 
for as many offensive coordinators that that have cycled through there with all the different offensive approaches, I think the one thing that's been consistent in Russ's career is that the best version of him as a quarterback is tied to having an effective enough run game to not have to ask him to be the every down world beating quarterback. Because to me, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, it might be proved wrong this year. To me, if you're going to ask your quarterback to be that guy, he has to be elite at punishing you in the middle of the field. That's a big reason why Josh Allen is Josh Allen, why Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, why, you know, when Lamar Jackson was at his best, he did really, really well work in the middle of the field. Like, and if you want to be at that level where you can contend for a Super Bowl as a guy who's going to have the ball in your hands 85% of the time when the game is on the line, um, you've got to be able to work the middle of the field. And if you can't, then to me, you need to be used like Jimmy Garoppolo, which is that we pass the ball with you when it's advantageous to do so. Yeah, it's you like know, the reverse Ru- Garoppolo right. in, a sense, in terms of like where they throw the football. Exactly, out. exactly. Like so, to me, it's that that's kind of where I'm at with Rush. Like I, I'm interested to see if that's something that you kind of see similarly. There's just not enough concepts that you can run if you're going to throw the ball 50 times a game. Can't and you're not going to be working. You can't run stick field, 35 yeah. times a game. Yeah, like no. that's it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, can't just run go balls all the time. <laughs> you know, like nine man protection, two 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 straight lines down the sideline. Mm-hmm. Like that's tough. But I didn't do. I didn't watch a ton of what they were doing with with Shane Waldron last year. Um, but like, it's, it's it was stick. It's just, he he loves running stick because it's an outbreaking route, mm-hmm. quick outbreaking route. And he loves running some other stuff. But it's like I don't. There's not enough. If you do not want to throw all these routes over the middle of the field. Uh, speed digs and dagger and this blah blah blah. Like what what is left in your? What, yeah, in your what do menu? you leave for your offense? What is left for you to do offense? So so you got to get some. You got to run the football to to alleviate a little bit of that, and you got to and then you got to take these shots off play action. So that's you know, what I mean, that's where we're at. But then it's like, and we go back to the same thing every time. Like then 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 like. All these issues that these teams always had with whether it's Pete Carroll from a macro perspective or Schottenheimer or Bevel yes. or Shane Waldron. Yes. It's like, that's not, I just don't see that as the issue. I just don't see it. And it's like, whatever happens with Hackett this year as a play caller, like, I don't, he probably won't be the issue. Like, Russell is, is the issue, but he's also, like, and he he's has, also a solution. Like, like he's, he's also a solution because yes. he's amazing. Yeah, like I don't, I don't ever want to be misconstrued in my point yes. and, and coming across as oh, I'm saying that Russell Wilson is a bad player. That's yeah. not it, or that you know he he will somehow be the ham be the thing that hamstrings this offense. That's not like there's just more layers to it than that. It's not as black and white as it might sound um, verbally. Like, and obviously this is one of the few times we're having a podcast and not being able to use like visual examples as we talk through this might make it a little difficult for listeners, but. Like, it's just important to understand that if there are certain things that you can't do as a quarterback, even if you're just amazing at some of the other shit, it just changes what you can and can't be offensively. And that's been the story for Russell Wilson, basically from what, like 2013 to now, you know, like we've had the same different versions of the same conversations with this guy forever now. Um, and I don't I don't imagine that changing just because of a change of scenery. And this is why he is a potentially future Hall of Fame quarterback because right. he's been able to play an elite level even with the issues that he that at the end of the day I think it's his it's, it's his height that puts on on himself. 
Mm-hmm. And I, pr- I probably had said this on this podcast at some point, but I read an article that I've been trying to find for years now about Russell Wilson and about it might have been specifically about shorter quarterbacks, but I don't it might have been just about Russell Wilson talking about how he and this goes back to our discussion on Paschal and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He said and I don't I, and I don't have the quote verbatim, so I, I'm probably fucking this up, but he was like, I make a lot of assumptions when I catch that snap about who is going to be open, where he's going to be open based on a lot of pre-snap stuff and a lot of like, Hey, I, I kind of, I'm trying to see through offensive linemen. I'm trying to see defenders hips and stuff like that to know who to throw the ball to. Mm-hmm. Um, he just can't see, he just can't see. So he's like, well, I'm not going to fit balls over the middle of the field. Um, you know, because I, I, I I'm too doubt doubt that's, makes me nervous like i can't see linebackers and stuff like that right um so he throws the ball outside because it makes him it, it, it he can see it better and like this is what you're dealing with this is always going to be what you're dealing with him and like we said it could come crashing down at any moment i don't think it will this year um but i'm ready to say i told you so when it does 100 percent. oh please <laughs> leave the tweets are loaded the tweets are loaded i'm ready to shoot <laughs> the second he stops the scramble mode stuff where he's hitting these unbelievable plays, like it's over. Right. It's over. And and if D, and if like they can't find a guy to do what DK DK did or does, mm-hmm. that's a problem too. Like I, I, I do like those two receivers we were talking about that can play on right. the outside. But D, DK I mean you was could put like, those two guys together you could put those two human beings together and they're still not DK Metcalf. At, at at that specific thing, which is like stacking receivers down the field. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, like, all right. So moving on to the next team in the AFC West, how far away are the Raiders from actually being contenders in this division? Uh, right before we started recording, they signed Chandler Jones. Am I right? Yes. You told me this. Okay. Yes, and they trade so traded Yannick Ngakwe to the Colts, so they okay. got Rocky Sin back. So I guess you can kind of look at it as like a two part transaction. So for the loss of Yannick Ngakwe, they replace him with Chandler Jones, and they bring in Rocky Sin. So trying to make some moves defensively. You know, a new, new defensive coordinator, it's Patrick Graham, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Taking over from Gus Bradley. So that's going to be, obviously, a seismic shift in, in how mm-hmm. they want to play defense. 100, yes. <laughs> I think they probably overperformed a bit last year on defense. I don't know how good a lot of their individual players are besides... Max Crosby. Max Crosby. And now Chandler Jones. Okay? Yeah, obviously, and Chandler, Chandler Jones, Jones is, today, is a hell of a yes. player. So that helps them a lot. Like he'll, he's certainly an upgrade over as much as I like Ngakwe. Like he's certainly an upgrade over Ngakwe mm-hmm. on the other side of, mm-hmm. of Max Crosby. Max Crosby. Uh, I think they also released uh, Carl Nassib. So yes, um, they again, this is, they're they're they will be better. They are making. Be better. Over, I mean, they're making over this defense in real time. Is, is yes. basically what, what we're saying. And you know, it's interesting to see where guys like. Um, the safety whose name that we always make fun of, that everyone uh, always makes fun of on Twitter. Um, not Merrick, the other, the not other Merrick. Merrick. Abrams. Yeah, there we go. Like, interesting to see what his role is going to be in this new system. Uh, you know, not just because he's not just going to be able to play as a down safety and like kind of live in that world. That's right. tough. Um, you know, Nate Hobbs had a good season last year, but I think he's like, you play strong, you play strong crow flat in a Gus Bradley system, you're protected, buddy. Hard to mess it up. <laughs> really hard, to, hard, mess hard to mess it up. But but you know. Good, but hey, you know, I mean, good, if you're good, good if you season. do well in it, you do well in it. It's not to take away from him. Yeah, 
Um, so it just is interesting to see how that's going to change. They, you know, in a sense, the offense overperformed because of how bad the offensive line was. Right. Um, and, and the receiver situation wasn't good. Obviously, they started Zay Jones um, for for the end of the season, who who ended up playing all right. Got a good contract out of it. Yep. Um, with Jacksonville, you know, the quarterback is good, but it's like, okay, well, can you go another year without like with you know if Leatherwood doesn't develop, they can't find a position for him. Like, where you know the offensive line is no good. Still, again, like I I just wonder about them. They could come crashing down with them too. Uh, obviously, in a different way than we're talking about Russell Wilson, but like they they concern me because I do think there's like this very big range there um, when I think about the Raiders' upcoming season. I mean, it's just like again when you talk about like a seismic schematic shift, like you really can't undersell it. Like I'm looking right now just at the coverage scheme um, tendencies. And with Bradley, you better there, hurry up because I'm about to cut your access off. Ultimate, the second we're done <laughs> recording, I'm cutting your access off. Um, looking now, like you're talking about a Gus Bradley that ran cover three 60 of the time in 2021. Okay, like, and if you just put it, if you put that in context with just like all single high shells, we're talking about him playing. We're talking about him playing some kind of single high coverage on over three fourths of the defensive snaps that they had in 2021. And that's not to say that, like, with Patrick Graham and his time in the Giants that he did the op- like the complete opposite, but there is a large delta between 60% of cover three and, like, 37 38% in cover three and playing, like, 30% of the time in quarters, cover two, or quarter, quarter, half. So, like, with that, that does change the kind of body types you're after up front. So you see that. Max Crosby, I think, is talented enough to be able to go from being a hand-down, four-down type of defensive end to playing as a nine technique as an outside backer Chandler Jones has obviously done Certainly, that yeah. at different points in his career you know so we know that he's got not only the size but the ability to execute that um you know I think in letting go of Corey Littleton I think that was kind of a signal that they need a different body you know playing as like their middle backer so I'm really interested to see kind of how that plays out um and then with the cornerbacks like Rocky Sand, I think is a nice thing to have you know I, I'm sure that you know, he'll, he'll add some value, but ultimately I think what this leaves is the fact that they do have to address getting a number one corner. I don't think that they can leave this offseason without at least taking a swing at somebody to try to fill that role. And then, you know, outside of that, I think that really you, you can maybe hope you find a safety late in the draft that can fit the role, that can fit another role for you. Maybe a Kirby Joseph type of guy who can play next to Merrick. You know, you get this versatility, a lot of length, a lot of athleticism out of a pair like that, right? I'm just kind of throwing a name at the wall. Um, and then you're you're just going to have to deal with the growing pains the same way that Brandon Staley did with the Chargers, honestly. When you go from playing all this single high, soft zone, loaded box, you know, to playing more 3-4 defense, split safeties, playing different zone shells, um, you know, it just changes the context of how guys are used in terms of their body types and where they fit into the defense. So I'm really kind of interested to see what they do with the rest of the defensive backfield, because that will tell me a lot about what to expect for them in year one. Now they'll they'll get the they're lucky that their defensive line is like going to be a lot better than the yes. twenty twenty one Chargers defensive line. One hundred percent, it's going to help them out a ton. Same thing last year. Defense. Same thing yeah. last year because they had a bunch of minuses in the defensive backfield, but having yeah. Max Crosby having the year that he had. And then Yannick looking the way that he did in the first half of the season specifically, like it did a lot of work for them defensively to patch up some of their holes. And then offensively, your thoughts, like, you know, they're going to find need. 
you know, probably, you know, the Waller and Renfro, okay, probably cool. needs something else at receiver. Got to have something outside. Got to have something outside. Um, I'm interested to see what Jacobs looks like mm. in the, um, you know, in the McDaniels offense, because yeah. obviously we've seen the way that he was able to use guys like James White out of the backfield. And I do think that Josh Jacobs has a lot more that he can contribute to the passing game than we've seen, you know, with this time playing for Gruden. So I'm really interested in that. I will say for Derek Carr, I think that this is a really good pairing between offensive philosophies and quarterbacks because we know that Derek Carr is relatively risk averse and Josh McDaniels also likes to structure his offense in a way that does not put you in harm's way very often. We've seen that with Brady. We saw this this past year with Mac Jones. Um, So I'm really interested in that. Um, I do think that for them, though, you also try to have to try to keep some kind of personnel versatility the way that he's had in New England and the way that Gruden wanted to build that offense out over his time in in Las Vegas and Oakland as well. So I think that's going to be a major piece. So just finding another guy who can win one on one on the outside would obviously be and that they're not alone in that everybody's looking for that type of guy, but it would do a lot for them offensively. And I actually think that it'll be it'll be a relatively kind of hand in glove fit between offensive philosophy and quarterback with Carr and McDaniels. The team that has probably made the most noise um, outside of quarterback, you right. know, obviously Den- Russell Wilson, that's that's the biggest yeah. one. But outside of quarterback is um, the Chargers. Yes. And I think it's always fun when you look at it and you're like, hey, the Chargers need to do this, 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 and this. And then guess what their first moves are? <laughs> This, 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 and this. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay. Okay, here we go. Yeah, we clearly weren't playing around with this offseason. We talked about the defensive line. So what do they do? They go out and trade for Kilo Mack, who I was looking at his PFF grades recently. Like This year was a bit of a down year. Only played 350 snaps or something like that. Right. Um, but before that, elite Still Kilo Mack. I mean, might not, Mack. It's, it's not like this version bar extra high Khalil Mack. Yeah. That's still Khalil Mack who's playing opposite another all-pro level pass rusher and, now. And, you know, they get a guy who can play against the run. Yes, a hell of a run defender. A hell of a, hell a run, of run of defender, which is what they needed. Um, to pair, no, not, you know, to pair with the pass rush. I mean, that's why he's Khalil Mack, right? That's why we exactly. talk about him like this. Exactly. But, like, that is so good. Um, his ability just to stand up against tackles and play, mm-hmm. and he can... Play in, you know, play two gaps or whatever gap and a half. It's a huge trade. Don't have to give up your first round pick. Um, obviously, you pay, you're paying him a lot, but you have the cap space. You know, blah blah blah. Justin Herbert's on his rookie deal. Blah blah blah. We're right about that, right. but like, <laughs> right. you have the space to do it, so you, you can just fit this guy in there. And you're assuming, and I think we're all assuming that he will be a difference maker on that team, just mm-hmm. like Von Miller was for the Rams when they got him. Mm-hmm. It's just this is a hell of a move. I mean, they don't have to play Kenneth Murray at fucking edge, like like they did in in that one game last year. Yeah, against uh, Houston, I, I had to yeah. do that. It's bad. That not a fun, not a fun watching experience. Well, let me ask you, which one moves the needle most for you? Is it Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, or Sebastian Joseph Day, defensively at least? That's a good question. That's a very very good question. Do you have an answer so that I can? Mine is going to be J.C. Jackson. I think I think so. I yeah, I think I'm going with JC Jackson just because I think it was just such a major need for the rest of the defense to have a guy who can fit into that press man backside of the coverage, winning one on ones all day long type of cornerback. 
Like they they desperately need that to make Staley's defense work. I think there's this idea, and maybe we did a bad job of talking about this. Um, well, I said like I think this is idea like people are actually talking about this in the NFL media, <laughs> but like you know, um, they run a lot of zone. They run a lot of zone. Mm-hmm. Now the, the the issue is when you talk about that is like there are man elements to a lot of zone coverages, and yep. this is why getting a guy who has played man before and played man in a high level like JC Jackson in what is a cover one heavy scheme in New England mm-hmm. matters so much because you can eliminate we talked about this you know leading up to the Super Bowl but you can eliminate certain players with man coverage and right. then push other players and flood other players to opposite sides of the field right. in zone coverages so like it right. will be we can say that this is cover six or cover two or cover eight, mm-hmm. but there is a man coverage element. And if you don't have that, um, then then you have to do other things and you have to um, find other ways to work around it. If you can eliminate a backside one-on-one receiver, you're living. It does a lot. Yeah, it does a lot for your defense. It does a lot for you, especially if you want to play with split safety shells. It, it helps yeah. you do what I think Staley wants to do most. And I kind of talked about it when I was writing about the, their, their defense last week. But even though they play a lot of too high shells, he still wants to take away all these routes in his intermediate areas in the seam. That's actually the goal. And I know, again, you were kind of just, you were kind of talking about it, like some of the dissonance I think that exists in the way that we view single high coverages versus split safety coverages. There's a lot of kind of antiquated ideas. Um, you know, a lot of this kind of, goes back to what I think was the time that Jimmy Johnson spent in Dallas with the Cowboys kind of bringing in some of that cover four and cover two uh, coverages to the NFL. Not that he created it, but it was obviously very prominent in his time running that four, three defense. And then you think about the time in, in Tampa Bay with Monty Kiffin and, you know, running the Tampa two style of defense. So I think that everybody has a very particular idea in mind of what a too high defense looks like. And that's not really the context that we're living in, in the NFL anymore. And if you want to squeeze the seams but play with two high safeties, then you do need to have a matchup winner on the outside. You don't have to have both. You don't have to have two of them. Now, if you have two of them, you can be what we always reference, which is 2019 LSU, right, where you've got corners who can really stand up in press coverage, <laughs> lock down the sidelines. And this is the first time you've referenced 2019 yes. LSU. It took, I finally did it. All right, that's it. We did it. <laughs> on the way up. The podcast is done. We've, we've done it all now. But, you know, having those guys who could really lock up on the outside, it does a lot for the rest of the defense. Like, you can really squeeze the field. But just having one makes it possible for you to do a bunch of different things defensively. So I am looking at J.C. Jackson as, like, the biggest impact over the entire all 11 guys. In terms of just, like, which guy I think they probably needed the most, it's probably Sebastian Joseph Day. Like, it's probably Sebastian Joseph Day. Yeah, he they they were bad on the inside. They were Very. horrifying on. the I was about inside. to say ba- even bad undersells it. They were they have guys yeah. that look like they were unplayable at different points playing in between the tackles. Yeah, it it it, it putting him at nose is going to help them a lot. He's he's a, a really good player. He can play kind of this like this like modern nose where he's not this big. He's not the biggest player at all. Mm-hmm. He's quick to be able to. Uh, fire into the gap that he's yes. that he needs to be in. 
but also strong enough to hold up uh, yes. on a center. He's a good finisher too. Like he makes a lot of tackles while yeah. being blocked. Like he he's basically the complete package of what you want as a nose tackle without without necessarily being like some all pro level yeah. talent. Like he is like the most turbocharged role player that you could have on your defensive line. I'll still say that J.C. Jackson is is the, the pick here only because I think it's going to um, make Derwin James that much better. Yes, I agree with that. And Nasir Adderley. Like, both of their safeties, yeah. I think, are made better by having J.C. Jackson in the fold. Yeah, so that that's going to help them so much. It's going to help them so much. Uh, two good safeties, right? Uh, especially right. Derwin, obviously. Yeah. And if he's going back to number three, it's over. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it's a wrap. Forget about it. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. So let me ask you that. I, I think yeah. the last question I have for you then is like, so what do you do with 17 now? Do you want to get a, a receiver? Are you thinking more offense? Are you thinking about just getting best player available? Do you want to do another defensive player? Like, Man. what's the approach for you? You could, depending how you feel about So if you feel like the nose is there, then that kind of eliminates probably Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis, yeah. Um, which is the guy that we all said was the perfect match for them. Now, Jordan Davis might have eliminated himself based on his combine. Right. Yeah, he might. He actually might going, not even be there at 17. Yeah. But that's great for them because now you can literally go anywhere, man. You, you can, can go, with, you can you go and get a second corner. You can yep. go and get Devontae Wyatt. Yes. To me, 17 might be a little high for Wyatt. I think that's a little ambitious. Time, but at the same time, if you you know if he's the number one, well, you could go get like you. Logan Hall, who I think is the best three technique in the draft. Well, there you go. You go get him if you um, wanted a defensive interior guy. If one of these if one of these corners slip, like I, you know, I've obviously been beating the drum about Kyrie Elam being the third that's best. That's what corner. I was. That's what I was going to say. Like, but if he's there, you can maybe go <laughs> grab him. I mean, people who talk, the hell? People are talking about Stingley slipping. I was going to say people are talking about Derek Stingley. Like he's not it's even over. supposed to be in the top the, half of the first Super round. Bowl. So. Super Bowl, if they get Derek Stingley. <laughs> so. You know, that's available. And then you can maybe, you know, depending on what Jamison Williams' medical situation that, that, is. That was going to be my go guy. Get like offense. a top-off wide receiver yeah. speed guy. You can go do that, you know. Maybe a Chris Olave slips. Who knows? I mean, but that's the whole point. I think that ultimately what the Chargers wanted to do, what Telesco and Staley wanted to do, was to get to the draft without being tied to any one particular position or player at 17. And they've obviously been able to do that. Between extending Mike Williams, I think that knocking it out of the park with your first round picks the last couple of years between Herbert and Slater opens up the door for that. And then you go out and you trade for a Khalil Mack. You go out and you you acquire J.C. Jackson and then you sign a Sebastian Joseph Day. It's like, boom, now the entire chessboard is available to you in terms of what moves you can make. So it's going to be really hard for them to mess up the top of this draft. Which is not usually a situation we're talking about for a team that just lost its second round pick and wasn't a playoff team. Like, you don't usually get to talk about teams like that in terms of, hey, our first round pick is a surplus type of situation that we're in. But that's, I think, where they found themselves, which is probably an ideal situation for a team with a young, cheap quarterback and a defense that I think that they've been able to make over basically in 48 to 72 hours' time. Incredible. I, I would also add in. Because we're seeing now, it seems like there's a, a tier one of offensive tackles that is a four-man tier mm-hmm. with Penning. Like, Penning has been, is being added supposedly, like, given, like, what the, the tastemakers in terms of the NFL draft and mock drafts and stuff like that are showing us. He is in the tier one group. That's a Northern Iowa tackle with Evan Neal, with Charles, Charles Cross, and with uh, Ikem, Ikem McQuanu. 
Mm-hmm. If one of those falls, and I guess it would be Charles Cross, like who's one of my favorites. Like now, I understand that he they went out and already got they hit on their on their left tackle with mm-hmm. Rashawn Slater, and all four of those guys play right uh, play left tackle. But fuck, man, if one of those guys dropped to you at seventeen, yeah. You need it. You need a. You don't need a right tackle, but you definitely need a left tackle. Yes, I don't. Storm 100%. Norton, not it's not the future. Ain't getting it Brian done. Bulaga is is could, could give you physical. some good reps, but it's not it's not it's not the future. Right. So, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like if there's one available, I mean, I like I will say, and again, this is the benefit of them approaching the offseason the way that they did is that now if one of these tackles that has been talked about, you know, we basically had three tackles who are who have been in the conversation for going in the top 6. If one of those guys actually slides, hey, it might open the door for you to fix both bookends on offense if, and defense. If, the, if you if have NFL, two good tackles and two good edge rushers, man, like you you're cooking. <laughs> you're really cooking. Oh. Also, they're the best quarterback in the league. I and the best quarterback this. in the league. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, look, dude, if, if Charles if the NFL is that low on Charles Cross, like, frick, that he's got to get taken at 17. I agree. I like, agree. If he gets there. I, I, I can't imagine. He's too good for me that he fall all the way to 17. But but maybe. Uh, and then finally. Um, I was going to say, after all this discussion, tell me why the Chiefs are still going to go 14-3 and three next year. Oh, jeez. Patrick Mahomes, I guess, right. the rebound year, right. even though he was well, what even do you, terrible. What do you address year? if you're them? Like, obviously, we've seen they they let Tyra Ma- they're letting Tyra Matthew walk. They bring in Justin Reed. That's um, probably to, an upgrade. I would probably. say it's. An, I think it's an upgrade in the aggregate. I, I don't yeah. think that you can use Reed the same way that you used Matthew, but I still think that that's okay for the yes. defense overall. Uh, they lost Ward. That's not yes, good. Yes, they did lose Ward. Now they're gonna have to. I, I would think they would have to go and find a, find a, another corner. I Same. think that's really given 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 what the NFC West is now with the quarterback play and receivers there. Um, they're probably gonna have to find another corner opposite of Snead, right? Like, yeah, I would say so. And I will say, like, it, it's funny, right? Like, because I think that we all, you and I particularly, I think had a lot of fun with kind of dunking on everything that was wrong with the Chiefs at different points in the year, especially you know the way that they finished the season. But you know, if you we're the, look we're at the every- Patrick Mahomes sucks podcast, That's- yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like if you if you look at everything in its totality, for all the issues that they had defensively, you go out and acquire another edge rusher, so now you're able to play Chris Jones inside. So they did address that. I do think that the linebackers that they have are actually going to be net positives for them. Um, you know, young guys just needed some reps. I think that by the end of last year, they were more than serviceable, if not just like outright good. So that's good. You know, I do think that getting a younger body in there for Tyron Matthew was the right move to make, even if it might hurt you in terms of, you know, leadership and all the intangible stuff that we talk about in football. So I I really do think that the only thing that's really left for them to address defensively is another defensive back, getting another guy who can play outside at corner. Um, And then it just becomes a matter of whether or not they actually want to spend the money to go get another wide receiver. That's... Um, that, that I guess that's kind of where we're at because I really like their offensive line. They don't need to invest at running back. Um, the, you have the best tight end in football still, so maybe you want to go get a guy who can be a high-level number two wide receiver. Like, if anything, the only thing for the Chiefs that they might be kicking themselves about is that they weren't able to get in on Amari Cooper. Like, I think that would have been mm. like a coup 
if they could have found a way to, to put in for Amari Cooper. Because he just because he just plays the same position he does in Dallas. Like exactly. wide receiver three. And you don't have to you literally three. don't have to ask him to do anything do more anything than what Amari Cooper is already good at. So All right. But what are your thoughts on the Amari Cooper trade? Um, I think that at first I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about and I still don't know how I feel about the fit in Cleveland. Obviously, I think the quarterback situation may be changing. So, you know, my, my, my answer might change depending on that. And that's honestly an, an entire ball of yarn unto yeah. itself when you talk about the quarterback that's involved with the rumors with, with the Browns. But I think that if you take it away from the fit between Cooper and Stefanski and look at it in terms of getting a high level of talent compared to what the market price is, you should be happy with that. So specific to the spreadsheet, when you look at him in the spreadsheet compared to other wide receivers that are being offered deals around the NFL, I think you have a lot of reasons to be pleased with what you're walking away with. I still just don't know if Amari Cooper is going to be maximizing Kevin Stefanski's offense. And if that's really even the archetype of wide receiver, the archetype of offensive skill player that you need to be after in this type of offense anyway. So I, I need to see it because I'm not sure that this is the best fit player to scheme that, that was available for them. Yeah, I mean, like they have to, I think they have to make a move at receiver and the contract is not great, but it's not terrible. And they have right. some cap space to play with, so it's not the end of the world. Um, and they're not tied to him for long if they don't want to be. Right. And like the trade, you know, they give a fifth round pick, like whatever, or a sixth round pick, whatever. That's, that's right. irrelevant. But. You know, he kind of had become the wide receiver three when everyone was healthy in in Dallas. It's like I don't know if he's the same Amari Cooper that wasn't at the kind of the beginning of his Dallas day. And I, honestly, you hate to kind of break it down like this, but like maybe there's a reason he's been traded twice. Like I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not I, even I, saying like a locker room thing. I'm just saying right. on the field thing. Like it's yeah. It, like I really think it's a production. He's really good. He's good. I do think that there that. You know, we talked about, like, there's this idea that this is something that bugged me. Like, that, well, this is good for Baker Mayfield because Odell Beckham wasn't a good route runner or something like that. And Amari Cooper is a good route runner. Like, I, I, I would say the opposite, buddy. Mm-hmm. And I think Amari Cooper is a good route runner. Odell Beckham is a great route runner. I, yeah. I would think <laughs> if you're going to ask me what the calling card of Odell Beckham is, it's his yeah. ability to get open. Yeah. <laughs> So but yeah, like I'm, I'm still not. I'm. I need to kind of sort that out. Like to your point about like Amari Cooper and why he's been traded. Like I think that the idea that you have and what Amari Cooper is supposed to be is just not really what we've gotten in the league. That does not mean he's not a good player. Michael Gallup is a really good receiver. Has developed himself into an incredible receiver, really. And obviously, every, I think everybody kind of knows how you and I feel about C.D. Lamb mm. um, as a receiver as well. So, like, I understood the logic from Dallas's perspective. Like, hey, we are not going to we're not going to continue to roster what we believe will be three twenty million dollar wide receivers. Ultimately, you know, you can't do that. You know, and and have an expensive quarterback. You know, so I, I get that part. Um, but I do think that for Amari's sake. Like, I would be braced not for failure, but for a level of kind of letdown and disappointment in Cleveland, just because I don't think that that offense is really built in a way that plays to what you should be doing with Amari Cooper. Like, if you put him on the backside of the formation with all these heavy personnel sets and play action and all that, I don't think the ball's getting to him any more often than it did to Odell when Odell That's was in that what spot. I'm 
So where does that leave us? Just another disgruntled wide receiver that's just out there so that way you can say that you have a number one wide receiver type? I don't know. That's it's a move that you had to yeah. make, but it's also a move I'm not happy about, I guess is yeah. the best way I can put it. It, it just th- doesn't seem like it, he, he doesn't feel like he fits in an offense that is going to be uh, a heavier personnel and him being kind of like stranded out on an island anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously like things can change. And I think that like I'm, I'm projecting him too much in the role that he was in when he's a receiver. And guess what? The receivers can play a bunch of different roles. Right. Um, but I just, he feels like an 11 personnel Z, which is what he was. Where, that's and where he like, should be. Which, yeah, and it's like, yeah, I, I think about that. Like, that's probably where it should be. So, yeah. Um, I could see it going well, but I could also just see it being exactly like what just happened with OBJ. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, um, let's get on to the final questions we have. Um, but I forgot to do the ad reads. So... <laughs> Final wouldn't be a here. too high podcast if, if we didn't have some ad read <laughs> chicanery. Um, yeah. So, anyways, um, the we have some really good questions. Uh, last thing about free agency: the Jaguars going to get all these receivers moves the needle. They, absolutely zero for me. It moves are the they, needle. Absolutely zero. They're not better than they were last year. No, it's a room full of guys whose best role would be as like the third best receiver playing in the slot. Like, and I like Christian Kirk, and I think that he, while I think that Christian Kirk can contribute more than what he did at Arizona, um, that does not mean that he's a $20 million wide receiver. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, I think the contract language is a little bit more team friendly than it may have yes. sounded initially, which, like, fine, good. But that doesn't take away from the fact that you paid a whole lot of money for a guy that I think is best used as a third best wide receiver in your wide receiver room, and he's being paid like a number one right now, or a high level number two at, at best. I, I, I'm not sure why this would change the trajectory for them. And I don't think that their offensive line um, acquisitions, while I do think it helps because they were just awful up front at different points in the year, again, not world changing. So we're still going to be living in a world where this is going to be on Trevor Lawrence's shoulders to kind of save the day, which is I, I did not imagine that this is where we would be in year two already, that we were, we were kind of firmly in Trevor Savas territory. It'd be tough. All right. The Too High Podcast is sponsored by PFF, of course. Right now you can get 25% off. Actually, I think you can get 30% off any PFF subscription with free agency 30 or 25% off if you want to support the pod with promo code Too High, T W O H I G H. Locked article content, NFL draft guide, mock draft simulator, free agency rankings, uh, data and grades for the entire 2021 season. That is PFF.com. Our friends at All22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. All22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line included. If you ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you'll want to check out All22. Um, join the waitlist on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. Join the waitlist before the NFL draft. You'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even get access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, 
feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at all22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All22, less fantasy, more football. And finally, um, for the last time in this iteration, today I'm excited to announce Manscaped has launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit that the every man needs and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF. Um, so again, uh, said it, uh, Manscaped body wash, two-in-one shampoo conditioner, hydrating body moisturizer, Manscaped deodorant and Manscaped lip balm uh, for for all your needs, really. Uh, get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code PFF at Manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at Manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. All right. Um, whoever uh, I get to replace you is going to have to deal with that for the rest of their lives. So congratulations to them. All right, mailbag. The Gad, the Gand of Hod, a uh, friend of mine, asked, what are the unique difficulties of being a defensive coordinator under a guy like Josh Heupel running this super spreader, uh, hyper-tempo offense? Uh, Josh Heupel, the head coach of Tennessee before the UCF. I imagine conditioning is a big issue, but I think 7 versus 7 and 11 versus 11 reps become less useful to a defense when all they see in practice is four routes. You're a defensive coordinator. Your thoughts? I mean, I think he kind of covered it in the question. Like, it's just that the way that they approach offense is not really comparable to what I think you'd see from most standard spread offenses and really offenses in the SEC. Same thing we talked about, I think, at different points with Arkansas and Kendall Bryles, right? Like when he, when as a play caller, like it's different. Same thing we talk about with Lane Kiffin. So, I mean, it is kind of starting to space out. Like, and I, I talked about it in one of our Twitter spaces um, a few weeks ago. Uh, and I think I, I kind of caught uh, one of our good podcast buddies, Stephen Godfrey's attention when I was saying that like this style of offense is the modern version of the triple option to That's me. That's where I was going to go with it. That's the way that I look at it. Like, you're not no like if you're if you were expecting to get some kind of standard more typical version of an offense out of it you're not going to see that with Josh Heupel. Um I think that for the most part you'll get a well you'll get a great look at whether or not your corners can stand up in one-on-one coverage. Um, I would definitely say that. But in terms of how you want to fit the run, how you want to cover the pass, what kind of routes you're covering, no, you're not going to get the most useful reps out of that. Um, which is, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. But, you know, I mean, outside of that, I mean, the schedule of football is that basically after the spring and like the second week of fall camp, you're not really concerning yourself with what your own offense is doing anyways. So, like, it it, it sucks for a, a brief moment in time, but once that moment in time has passed, it's really not, not much of an issue. I, I would have to think that a college coach like Josh Heupel, who's been around a lot of successful programs and successful coaches, knows how to put together a scout offense. So it's not like I think that this offense is becoming an issue for them in terms of creating looks for their defense to prepare for throughout the week. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is like 
maybe I don't know how you guys do it at your high school and like the places I've been. It really depends on how high you get up. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the higher you get up, the weekly practices are not good on good. No. It just doesn't happen. Very rarely. Very, very um, So we might do, you know, you know, I've been in places where like, you know, Mondays or like first pack Tuesday, whatever you start your practice week. Um, you know, you might do like a, we, I remember at the last place I was at, we did like a hurry up period. Good on good hurry up period. 10 minutes. Yep. Maybe even to start each practice, five minutes to start each practice. But other than that, like. And that, yeah. That was we're basically getting into a sex state. Like, yeah. first 10 minutes was good on good, but it was much more like formation aligned. Like ball gets sprayed out to the perimeter, you go pursue, get the next call. Yeah. Outside of that, in season, if you're going good on good, it's, it's maybe it's, like short yardage, red zone stuff, or like you know third down type of stuff. Like very specific situations where you want a particular personnel group and you want to get the best look possible for them. Outside of that, you're not seeing your own offense. You're, you're, you're not seeing your own offense, and you're really not even seeing the first team guys within <laughs> your own offense all that often. No, you're seeing your practice roster running through their script, and that's yes. it. So you'll see you'll see their offense, and like you'll be fine, like in terms right. of that. Now it is like you said, the same issues that you're gonna see with, um, to a certain degree, like like a like a flexbone team, right? Where it's right. gonna be very different. You're gonna have to defend it in a very specific way, to to deal with it. So th- those are the issues, right? But in terms of like the actual practice reps, it's it's the same. Like you're not nothing is really uh, changing there than you would see for 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 an option team all right next question from uh the same user uh charles cross is talking to me uh, charles cross is your ot1 what are the unique difficulties in evaluating a prospect like him that sees so many three-man rushes that simply aren't very applicable to the kind of work he'll be asked to do in the big boy league i think that you know i think we talked uh, talked about this thing when derek was on yes um, at some point but i think that there's enough with him, like specifically Charles Cross, because they're throwing the ball 60 times a game, you do get enough pass setting reps. Pass setting reps against an edge rusher that yes. you're, you've seen it all. I do think that there's going to be prospects where, where you're, you probably don't get enough. And you're going to have to figure out based on the limited reps um, what he can and can't do. I think Cross is not, again, Cross probably not a great example of that because he does see so many. You know, you're throwing the ball 60 times a game, you're going to, you're inevitably going to. Find that stuff. I do think the NFL. We talk about this all the time. Not there yet, but you're you do see some some a little bit of it. like that um, from the interior. Um, so yeah, I think you you really got to figure find those plays. Obviously, I have PFF Ultimate, so I can find them. You don't. Uh, so so I can find those plays uh, pretty easily, and I can and I can I can wade through the film that way. Makes sense. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down that, that's to. What, that's what it comes down to. All right, from Drew Weber. Why does the pistol not get more I- implementation in the NFL? It feels like a set Shanahan would love to operate from, given its multiplicity in the run game, but I don't believe he does. So I love this question because, you know, tying the pistol, that backfield set to Shanahan is fascinating because you're about to see pistol from Shanahan with Trey Lance at quarterback, because that's what yes. they were doing in the in the times that he played last season. Why it doesn't get implemented more in the NFL is, and we had this very long discussion with Justin Mosqueda last August, but a lot of it has to do with pass protection, in my opinion. Um, it's just easier to get the running back involved in pass protection or out in a route when he is next to the quarterback at five-yard depth. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, you have a lot of stuff that you can do in the running game. Obviously, you have less tells. Um, you can go in either direction. Um, you know, the, the the more of a true option game, which we'll talk about with the with, with Shanahan. Um, but I think just what the NFL wants to do in terms of pass pro and getting running backs out in the route in the NFL, I think playing him gun offset is, is really the place where he, that's probably why he's gun offset more. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an issue with pistol. I think that there's a place for it. I think it's very useful. Um, but ultimately, the thing that I come back to, and I'm this is just me as a defensive coach, like if you are not using pistol specifically to try to eliminate tells for like quarterback run game the way that Baltimore does, there's nothing that pistol does for you that's better than just being under center in terms of like multiplicity in the run game. Like it just makes more sense to be under center. The timing is better. The run schemes I think are better if you're not involved in the quarterback. Like the angles at which things are happening, it serves itself well in terms of like Lamar Jackson in the read game where you see the power read stuff. Um, you see like they're they're able to add like reads to things like duo, you know, a lot of like man downhill schemes. And that's awesome. But the second that you're leaving that quarterback read world, you should just be an offset gun or under center to me. Like, and the one thing that Pistol really struggles with is that in the passing game, basically the only thing you can really do is, like, play Same. action. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. Got, like, it's got to be play action where you're trying to delay it, or the guy, it's got to be, like, scat protection, which means that you're only using five guys in the yeah. protection and you're releasing them. It wouldn't make much sense to run your typical, like, half slide or full slide, and you don't see full slide in the NFL because that will put a tight end or a running back on an edge rusher, and that's a great way to get your quarterback killed. Um so yeah, like it, it has its uses, but there's a reason why when Baltimore is not using Lamar Jackson yeah. as a running threat, they just get an offset gun or go under center. Like there's a reason for that, and it, it's basically kind of what I was describing. What 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 routes can you run out of the backfield from from seven yards depth behind the quarterback? Swings. Not a lot. Swings. I That's guess. basically it. Like swings. So you're that. limited. You're limited there a lot. Um, but like you said what Baltimore does with it is exactly what Shanahan's going to do if, if, who knows. If Trey point. Lance. Like if Trey Lance, Lance is the starting out. quarterback. Yeah. And I think it's going to be nasty what they do with it. Um, and, you know, we saw them run more of like a VR type of action when they when he was in there um, to run that option stuff. And it could be nasty. It could be really nasty. And I'm excited to see how he, you know, given how much I like Shanahan and watching his offense, like seeing how he can put his, his, his mind into a pistol type of set. Um, especially on early downs, but I do think that's yeah. those two reasons um, are why you just don't see it a lot. Mm-hmm. It just it's just tough to get the running back to do the things that the NFL wants running backs to do from pistol. Right. And like you said, um, uh, the tell that like if you, you might as well just go under center if you're not going to option game. So that's where you'll see it with Lamar, you'll see it with Trey Lance, but you know, do you need to do it with Aaron Rodgers? I'm like no. I was just going to center, turn your back, and, and get a nice play-action game going that way. All right, last question is a long one. Um, all right, while we're watching the Super Bowl, I noticed how things really clicked for the Rams when they employed five-man fronts and started blitzing or threatening to do so, or even just manipulating the Bengals' offensive line. This is from Albert Cantu. Sorry, let me start it again. 
While rewatching the Super Bowl, I noticed how things really clicked for the Rams when they employed five-man fronts and started blitzing or threatening to do so. Even just manipulating the Bengals' offensive line with the fronts they were showing. They did the same thing against the Bucks, another vulnerable offensive line they faced in the playoffs. Can we draw some conclusions from the fact that instead of just act, trying to get home with four, like the 49ers might have done, the Rams actually relied on fronts, disguises, and blitzes to get pressure on Burrow. My takeaway is that Differences in approaches comes from differences in body types and play styles. The Rams are a finesse pass rushing team. Floyd is nimble. Vaughn is a speed guy. Donald is even undersized. They win with speed and technique more so than brute force. By, by menacing or actually bringing five, they can force the one-on-ones they need to let their speed and technique dominate single blocks. The Niners are in their hand trying to detonate the pocket with force and violence to compress the space uh, quarterbacks can operate in. Uh, even if they don't beat the Elon O-line clean, they still affect the quarterback and can do it by rotating four massive human beings uh, or three-plus Bosa, but still. What I'm getting at is, uh, to me, if Raheem Morris had rested on his laurels and sending four guys and being less aggressive with blitzes and fronts in order to prioritize pass coverage integrity, the Rams might have been more vulnerable to the Bengals' passing attack. Um, so, yeah, I guess for me the question is like, I'm not sure what the question is here, but like um, when you're creating... Um, a, a pass rush mm-hmm. or or you're thinking about how to get players home mm-hmm. um when are you thinking i'm going to create uh, uh something that the nfl is doing a lot of these days and creating these five-man units you know pr- four linemen with a stand-up linebacker in a mug position or something like that versus hey i'm going to just rush for from uh you know an over front and, and live in that world well the number one thing is just like what's the protection how do teams set the protection? Can you manipulate the protection to guarantee one-on-ones for your best pass rusher? That's what he was describing with what the Rams were doing, um, especially in the second half of the Super Bowl when they really kind of started getting after Joe Burrow. Um, that's what those bare fronts are for. Those 5-0, looks are for, um, you know, is to try to force an offense to declare to you how they're setting the protection or – if you have a really good tendency beat the way the guys do in the NFL, um, and if things are set up a very particular way in the NFL, especially like for the Bengals, who like to split out their tight ends and go four open, there's only so many ways that you can set your protection in that world, right? And we just kind of talked about the fact that full slide is not a thing in the NFL. It's just not really a thing unless it's like a seven or eight man protection where you're really, really controlling what's happening on the edge. So you start with that. So you already know that that's off the table. So that leaves half slide, okay? And then what you would call man protection or big on big. Half slide means, and I know that I've uh, talked about this when I talked about how teams attack five-man protections um, and something I wrote last month. Um, But half slide would mean that the center guard and tackle to one particular side of the formation, they're all working in a zone type of scheme. So the same way we talk about zone and man in coverage on defense applies to pass protection, right? So if you're using three guys to work one way to take the first guy they see in that direction, that's the zone side. On the back side is what you would call the man side or big on big, most dangerous, however people decide to term it, right? Well, if I can get you in a situation where you're setting – a half slide and then by the front design or by some kind of movement I do with the defensive line if I can turn that half slide into a full-on big on big protection that's the goal that's goal number one then you do the same thing in the inverse if a team likes to play a lot of big on big protections 
I want to give you the look that you want to see in big on big, which is that every offensive lineman is accounting for a rusher. And then I want to use some kind of movement to force that big on big to have to turn into some kind of half slide. So you saw a lot of that in the second half of the Super Bowl. Um, I don't remember the the linebacker who was involved. It might have been Troy Reader, um, but I don't exactly remember which linebacker they were using to kind of mug up over the guard to create these 5-0 looks. Um, but that was a lot of what we saw um, in terms of manipulating the protection. So now, A, on both edges, you have Leonard Floyd and, Blount and Von Miller in a way where they can't be helped by any guard stepping out their way. It's them against the tackle. They can crush the pocket. So you saw a lot of success from them. And then from there... The biggest goal that was clear for Raheem Morris is how many one-on-ones can I get with Aaron Donald against these guards? And everybody knows how I feel, how you feel, how the rest of the NFL felt about their interior offensive linemen. So you don't want the center to be able to slide over and help based on the protection. So you cover everybody up so that way you can get Aaron Donald these one-on-ones. And now you can start running these stunts and twists and games around it to really manipulate what's happening with the with the protection and you get the last layer of it, which is the best thing about threatening blitzing is when the team doesn't believe that you're going to bring the blitz and then you do. So you got a few run throughs as well from linebackers um, because, you know, the protection is set in a way that's still prioritizing getting help on Aaron Donald or Von Miller. Um, so that's really it. For me as a defensive coach, you always want to set the front in a way that allows you to manipulate the protection pre-snap and then post-snap you want to make another movement that's going to take a protection that was set one way and make it work opposite of what the uh, original intended effect is. And then in that, you know, you want to be able to protect your one-on-ones through those types of schematic um, decision-making uh, ability for, for a defensive coordinator. So that's kind of what I'm looking at um, as a defensive coach and how you want to attack these protections. And I do agree with him that if you use that in comparison to the 49ers, which is just like regular old four down, you know, you'll have your, nose tackle playing inside the guard a defensive tackle playing outside the guard sometimes they'll play with two three techniques so both guys are outside the guard you got these wide nine edge rushers like that has its place but you don't get the same level of manipulation it is a lot of guys just having to win and and you see the differences in that versus what a team like the rams do and they live more in an odd an odd front world than a team like the 49ers ever would are these more like i don't know if it's a trend but i do feel like Maybe just because I learned about them, so I now I see them everywhere. But like, right. are these five zero single mug looks like the the, the future here? Rather I would than have double to think mug so. stuff for as long as you see half slide and big on big protections yeah. being the top two protections. I'd have to think so. It's the best way to try to get some level of manipulation that does not require you to walk everybody up to the line of scrimmage. Like, I think the future of exotic front is going to be single mugs, and then what Brian Flores was doing between the Patriots and Dolphins. Like, really going to walk one guy up, or we're going to have, like, seven guys at the line of scrimmage and really kind of put some strain on how you want to set your protection. I think playing the linebacker up on the line of scrimmage manipulates the running back a lot, too. Yes, hard to release, really hard to release. And I think defenses are like, well, fuck it. I don't want I don't want five guys out in the route. Have four. Mm-hmm. Deal with me in a different way. Because we or don't you know, if you're if you are committed to releasing all five, we're gonna punish you for it. Somebody's yeah, because be we're right here. We're on we're on the line of scrimmage. Right. Somebody's gonna be we're hitting coming. your quarterback every time you release the yeah. back. I think for me that's that's a that's another uh reason to to enjoy that stuff. All right, yeah, we actually have one more question. This is from Brian Q. Guzman. How much does coach to court to, 
sorry. How much does the coach to quarterback headset communication allow NFL offenses to be more complex compared to the college game where everything needs to be signaled in? We hear a lot about QB's mental development and how ready certain guys are when they get to the league. Would that process get sped up if they had the same communication mechanism in college? I've always felt like this is an underrated aspect of the NFL game operation and it's not talked about very often. Curious to hear your thoughts. Um, so how much does a coach to quarterback headset communication allow NFL offenses to be more complex? I mean, when you're signaling stuff and, and college offenses are becoming very complex in their signal, yes. signalization. Yes. But it's kind of crazy. But um, when you can just be like, you can just say the entire, and we, you know, you 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 have the tropes about like all these, right. you know, West Coast, West Coast offense, and, yeah. Uh, and, but when you can just say that and have him repeat it in the huddle, which is really what's going on, you can get um, a level of complexity and a level of what's the kind of word I'm looking for, a level of uh, uh, task efficiency to your other players, not the quarterback. Right. Um, when you spell it out, when you have these long play calls, what you're doing is you're taking actually off of the other players, not the quarterback, right. and especially the I'm receivers. Going to tell every person here okay. exactly what they're going to do. All the motions the are there. The route the concept. protections, route concept, and even what within the, the route concepts, yeah, it's different more adjustments. Than you have your yeah. You have your killers. You have your cans. You know what I mean. Like you have all, all those audibles built in when you can when you can say the whole thing out. And you know with route concepts, it's like you know I live in this world where I'm gonna call, I don't know, I'm gonna call smash. Smash right. Smash. That's it. Where this is like, hey, we're you know we want to run X smash. We want to run Y smash. You know we want to run this smash. We want to run. X match on the backside is Z something for, else. Yeah, it all means something different for the other receivers. In the so class. that puts that alleviates pressure in terms of learning and stuff like that on the receivers and you know offensive line and running backs and stuff like that. Um, but it puts more on the plate of the quarterback because he's yes. got to remember this stuff. He's got to spit it out. Now I do think there's a now you know you're you're repping this stuff throughout training camp throughout the week of practice so it, it makes it easier um you know we've seen this video of like phil sims being able unable to like spit out like all these long verbiage calls from like training camp when he's mic'd up like generally it, it is hard like it is very hard but like generally once you've repped it a few times it, it becomes a rhythmic thing for you and it's like, language right you, it's you language, language exactly yeah and and you're able to know what the guy's about, to, what your play caller is about to say before he finishes a sentence, mm -hmm. um, because you're not making stuff up on, on the spot. You know, you're, right. the, the the coordinator is not sitting there and saying like, "Oh, you know what? On this play, right. as I'm sending it in, the X is going to run a post, and I'm going to call X post." Like you've done this a lot of times before. Like there's not right. a lot of changes, but again, it it allows you to be more um, complex and get all the information into all 11 players where the opposite is true with signalization and, and like one word play calls and stuff like that, mm -hmm. where the, the quarterback is probably a little, it's less so on the quarterback because he doesn't have to think that much and spit it out that way. Um, and he knows long. conceptually yeah. where he's going. Cause yes. if you just hear smash, I know all what I'm smash is, is hey, hide a low, hide, hide a low in the corner. No problem. But now that the receivers actually have a lot more on their plate because if you call smash from this formation, 
versus smash from this formation, then they got to know who's running the corner and who's running the hook and whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is um, where the complexity changes. But, you know, we're watching all these offenses signal in motion uh, in college, signal in motion and this and that and have all these complex play calls that they're finding ways to, to be able to be complex with um with how they want to run an offense because we've talked about this before like it's tough to just go in two by two three by one um you know line up in a formation and run the play without motion now like it's coming to college football and we're seeing teams find ways to be complex with their signalization having a lot of guys signal stuff not just one guy um and and find ways to um do that so i do think it's part of mental development for quarterbacks like it, it is tough for some of them to to go to that and to learn all this stuff and and uh, breaking it down piece by piece um but um so yeah it, it it it's you can see issues for sure um that's why they go on the board with these guys kids and 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 talk to them and and find out what their mental capacity is for this type of stuff um and yeah you have any thoughts I mean, you covered it, and that, that was right. basically it. Guess what that means? It's the end. It's over. Yep. This is this is it for the Too High podcast. Um, you know, obviously, I talked to you throughout this entire process, especially in indie. But like, you know, a, apart from everything else in terms of being mushy or whatever, like I really do owe you a debt of gratitude for even opening the door with the College Football Podcast for me to be on as a guest host when that was the capacity in which I was working when I was freelancing and then full time and kind of like putting me under your wing here. And, you know, we were able to kind of create something together with this and, and watching it grow. Um, it's obviously helped me, you know, in my content creating creating process. I like to believe that it's the same for you. Um, I think it opened a door for this company um, in terms of, you know, different ways to approach the ways that we can create and produce content which is going to be important, I think, for what not only for what the next generation of this is, but for your work, my work at my next stop, um, you know, and other people who are looking to do similar things or have similar conversations about the sport. So it's been a lot, a lot, a lot of fun, man. Uh, I will say that aside from losing Ultimate, the thing that I will probably <laughs> miss the most isn't even the stuff that we do on air. It's like yeah. all the stuff that we did in terms of preparation for yeah. different TV productions and, you know, pre-production for this podcast and just throwing different messages at each other in Slack. Like, oh, I just saw this. This is, oh, I feel like this is a trend. Oh, well, let me look. Oh, it looks, it, not only is Georgia doing this, Wisconsin's doing it. Uh, Notre Dame's doing it, blah, blah, blah. And now, boom, we have this entire umbrella of content that we can talk about now and kind of shoot out to people and have, you know, these great conversations with others. And I think that because of the angle that we kind of took, it really opened up a community of people that are fans of all these different teams to come in and get a greater understanding for what their favorite teams are doing, what their rival teams are doing and what all of it means within the football context. So like, I can't say enough about how much fun I've had doing this stuff and it is a very bittersweet moment. So thank you again for, for opening the door for me, man. And I can't wait to see what great shit is on the horizon for you, for PFF, for myself, for everybody that's been through the too high podcast universe man it's going to be a really really good future and i am sad that i have to let this thing go in order to get to what's next for me i i don't want to i i love you i don't want to add anything more to that i i this has been 
like I said before, it, unexpected. Yeah. That people would accept us. Yes. In terms of like talking about football the way we want to talk about football. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm thankful. For, just as you're thankful for me, I'm obviously thankful for you for coming on here and me forcing you to be my co-host when you weren't <laughs> getting paid for it, basically. And 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 yeah, the stuff that we do outside is always the you know off air. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. been it's been fun. Obviously, uh, that's it. We can never talk again. So <laughs> I hope you. I wish you well in your future endeavors. No, I, like uh, it's. This has been great. This has been really good. And I, and um, the amount of love we got in person at in, in yes. Indianapolis says a lot. People were coming up to us and saying how much we love the podcast. Fucking appreciate that so much. Again, we don't know, man. We don't. Right. I, I, I'm in I this silo in San Diego, dude. Like, I don't I don't know who's hearing this and, and what they think about it. So not only to just get that respect, but to get respect from people who work in this industry, who work in the league, who work for these college programs. Like, it was, it was overwhelming at a lot of times. You know, we obviously had a lot of conversations about that. I was blown away by how well received the two of us have been for the work that we've done. So. Uh, and yeah, it gives me hope for the future that that the way we want to talk about football is viable. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I'm and I'm happy that we were able to to carve something out, um, even if it was just like eight months of this. It was yeah. we we got a full season in. Man, we talked about so much stuff. A lot of shit, dude. So much shit that happened this season in terms of that you know everything that we want to talk about and. And um, yeah, I obviously you know I wish you luck on on your future um, Thank you. stuff, and um, and there you go. We'll talk soon, um, man. This yeah. is this is a see you later thing. So we'll talk soon. All right, All right see guys. You guys, have a good one. <laughs>